Colossians chapter 1. We'll be looking at the last paragraph of this opening chapter today, verses 24 to 29. All right, hear the word of the Lord. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. A few weeks ago in God's Word, we saw that it is crucial that you and I know God's will that we be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we may walk worthy of the Lord. So we saw there that in that passage I'm referencing a couple of paragraphs ago, that knowing God's will is key to growing in the Lord and and to walk in the manner that's worthy of Jesus. Let me say that again. Knowing God's will is key to growing in the Lord and walking in the manner that's worthy of Jesus. And I've been pressing that this will that we ought to know is not God's will centered on my life specifically. How God's plans are uniquely tailored for my life and my situation. Rather, the will of God that we must know is how is God's will that is centered on His Son. God's will concerning His Son. And, and we see that. We see that it's not about me, but rather the will we must know is all about Jesus by what Paul says next. Now I'm getting into verses 15 to 20. In these subsequent paragraphs, what Paul does is beautifully unfold for us God's will, His plan, His purpose concerning Jesus. And what was that? What is that will? What is that plan? It is God's will that His Son, who is His very image, be the head of all things. So that as He is the one who made all things in the beginning, so He is also the one who makes all new. The Son who in the beginning created all things for Himself by speaking, is also the one who reconciles all things to Himself in time by dying. So Jesus is preeminent in everything. And speaking of that reconciliation of all things, then we get into the next paragraph and we see that even though this will of God that we must know does not center on me, in the most amazing ways, It includes me. Because even though we were alienated from Christ, hostile in mind and in deed, on the inside and the outside, we are against Him, yet by His death, we have been reconciled to the Lord Jesus so that He might present us to Himself 
holy and without blame and above reproach, in splendor. And then Paul says, we will be presented to Christ in this way if we persevere in the faith, if we continue stable and steadfast and not shift from the hope of the gospel. Now, I want to pick up on something that I spoke about a couple of weeks ago. We are dealing a lot in Colossians with the spiritual powers. And it's so easy for us to to write them off and to not consider the spiritual powers, you know, in that invisible realm that are actually truly against us. So easy to write them off. But they truly do, day by day, oppose the people of God to keep us from knowing God's will, to keep us from persevering in the faith. See, here's the, here's the great danger. Even though they may have rebelled against their maker in the beginning very quickly, they will be quite happy if you turn against him slowly. If you will, in the end, defy the Lord Jesus on your last day and not know how you got there. I'm sure you've all, you can all relate to this, uh, situation. You know, when you're at the beach, the lake shore, and, you know, you, you've got that, that floaty in the water beside you, that beach toy or whatever it is. And, uh, you see for a moment, you know, there it is within reach. Okay. You got it. And then just for a moment, you look away. You get consumed with something else. And then you look back up and that thing is like floated off into oblivion. And it's not that it raced to get there while you weren't looking. It just drifted off slowly but surely while you were consumed with something else. And it's no different for us in the spiritual life. No different simply by being consumed with other things, before we know it, we can drift away from Jesus. And that's exactly what the spiritual powers want. Drifting from Jesus is the easiest thing. But in the end, it's the most costly. Persevering, on the other hand, is the hardest thing because of the deception that's from the devil and through the world and even in our own flesh. It is the hardest thing to persevere in the faith but it has the greatest reward because in the end we will be presented to Christ in splendor. So drifting is easy, persevering is hard. And we can thank God for the Apostle Paul because of how hard he worked and how much he suffered to help us persevere in the faith. And this is what he did. He gave his all, not only in preaching, but in suffering too, to make Jesus known to us, to proclaim Christ to us. I've said it many, many times. I'm sure you've heard it from others as well, but we need to come constantly back to it. You don't move on from the gospel. You only go deeper in. And that's exactly what Paul says. He says to to make you, to help you to persevere in the faith. What we do is proclaim Christ. Teaching and warning everyone in all wisdom, we proclaim Christ. So that's why we're here in this letter. To, to hear Christ, to consider Christ, to go deeper into Christ, to know Christ so well together 
with such full conviction that we're beyond the reach of all deception. So let's, as we get into this text now, let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's ask for His help. Father, we come helpless on our own with empty hands wanting more of Christ. We want Jesus. We want the arms of our hearts to be filled with Jesus. We want to be so deep in Christ. So take us further, Lord, today. Put us deeper into Christ today. May we know Him more as we have just sung. That's the cry of our heart. So we pray that You would give Your Holy Spirit for all the help that we need. We know Your promises, Lord. So we're glad now to ask for these things and we're bold in our expectation that You will surely answer. Do this, we ask for our good, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul's whole life was spent in making Jesus known, in his preaching and in his suffering for what he preached. His whole life was spent to make Jesus known to us. And again, that's why we're in this letter. And I want to repeat this phrasing Uh, which I just referenced a moment ago, because this is our purpose statement for Colossians. We are in this letter so that we will reach knowing Christ together with such full conviction that we are beyond the reach of all deception. And if you recall, I haven't talked about this in a while, so you may not, but that comes from the first four verses of chapter 2. Lord willing, we'll get into that next week. But we're in this letter to know Jesus and to know him well. Paul suffered tremendously to make Christ known to us. And, and he, know, he says, notice there in verse 24, that he rejoices in every bit of that suffering that he has to experience. Because not only, not only does his speaking portray the worth of Jesus, but as he suffers for Jesus, as he lays his life down, that also portrays the worth and the glory of Jesus to the people of God. So as he toiled to make Jesus known, as he gave his all to make Jesus known, let's give our all to know him. And the final consequence of this is that we will be standing before Jesus in splendor and Jesus our Lord will love what he sees. Paul says, let me read verse 24 again. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. This verse is probably one of the most complex in this letter to understand, although I don't think it's ultimately difficult. But you can tell that those who love to twist the scriptures to the destruction of others, we'll take this verse and definitely twist it and say, look, Jesus isn't enough. What Jesus did is not enough for his salvation because Paul is talking about how his suffering fills up what is lacking in Christ's suffering. So it would be very easy to, to twist this. But, I mean, think about this whole letter. What is Paul taking so great pains to do? He is showing us Christ is all. He is everything. He is the head of the first creation, head of the new creation. He is sufficient for all that we need. And he is 
fighting so hard against those who would say otherwise. So he can't be saying in this one verse, no, Jesus isn't enough. He can't be saying that. So here's the question. What does he mean by filling up in the sufferings of his flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Would you quickly turn over to Revelation 6 and verse 11? Because I want you to see a parallel that will help us to understand what's being said here. In Revelation 6, we are given insight, we're given a vision of those who have been martyred, that is, killed for their faith in Jesus. And we see what their prayer is to the Lord. Their prayer is that justice would come. And they ask, how long until justice comes on those who have taken our lives? The Bible says in verse 11, Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer. Now here's our our key uh, phrasing that parallels what Paul says in Colossians. Until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So there is a divinely foreordained, prearranged, definite number on the martyrs, which will one day be complete. So similarly, Paul is speaking of all the sufferings that he has been called to endure for the church. And he is saying there is a divinely prescribed completion to these sufferings with Jesus, which, you know, Paul is suffering his fair share of. So he is speaking of sharing. You know how often Paul talks this way. He is speaking of sharing Christ's sufferings. And it's not because Jesus' sufferings are inadequate to save the church, but because there is so much suffering to do to build the church. Does that make sense? I hope that you followed all of that. But let me just repeat that last thing. He is speaking of sharing Christ's sufferings, not because of some inadequacy in Christ's sufferings to save the church, but because there is much suffering to do to build the church. And Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. It actually gladdened his heart to lay his body down for the body of Jesus, the church, so that even as he is weakened, the church is made strong in the Lord. Paul had this stewardship from God. So what he speaks of next in verse 25. He had a stewardship from God to make Jesus known, and that involved proclaiming Christ and also suffering for Christ as a result of that. He says, I suffer for the sake of Christ's body, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. He had a charge from God. We know from, well, we just know from the Bible in general that this would be the case, but Paul says it specifically in Galatians that he was set apart for gospel service before he was born. You remember his conversion story on the road to Damascus? He's on his way to persecute the believers there, to arrest them. When Jesus appeared, 
So before he was born, he was set apart. But in time, Christ called him and charged him to make the name of Jesus known to the nations. He says, my stewardship is to make the word of God fully known. And then in verse 26, he expands on that. He shows us how the Word of God is fully known. He says this means declaring to the nations the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. This is some, this is precious stuff. I really want us to understand what Paul is doing here, how he is unfolding to us the glories of Jesus. Because it's as we know them, as we see them, as we get into them, that our hearts are captivated, our minds are drawn, our strength is committed. This is what we want. The world can't touch this. We have Christ. So, His charge is to declare the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. The mystery is one of Paul's favorite ways, especially in Ephesians and Colossians, of speaking of what God has done through his son, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. Why does he call it a mystery? We really need to understand what Paul means by this word if we're going to understand Paul's writings if we're going to understand really the whole Bible and how it works and how God's revelation unfolds over time and then is fulfilled in Jesus. He calls it a mystery not because it's, you know, some uh, divine riddle that the super spiritual can solve and only the super spiritual. He doesn't call it a mystery because there's some code that we must crack in the Bible. And a lot of people treat the Bible with codes, you know, and I don't know if you've come across that stuff, but there's some weird, weird stuff out there. Anyway, he, Paul calls it a mystery. What God has done through Jesus is called a mystery because it is what the whole Bible, the Old Testament has been promising all along, but in such a way that it was concealed until Jesus came. It's like everything before Jesus. The prophets, the priests, the kings, the temple, the sacrificial system, and all of the promises, all the prophecies even, are under shadow. I mean, we can see a form, but not the fullness of it. We can see a sign in all of these things. We know there's something more to all of this. There has to be. But what the significance is, we don't get until Jesus comes and does his work and tells us what it all means. Then, when he comes, the light dawns and we can make sense of it all. We see not only the form, but we can see the fullness. Everything before Jesus is illuminated in him. So let me, I, I, I want you to, I, I wish this for me, pray, pray this for you too. I hate how we take it for granted where we are in history, in, in God's salvation history. 
we just, we do take it for granted. And the Bible repeatedly says how the saints who lived before Christ longed for him to come. I mean, that's the ultimate how long, O Lord, question, isn't it? As many times as they said, how long, O Lord? Really, all of it is wrapped up in the question, how long until he comes? How long until the promised one arrives? Ryan uh, spent, well, this was, this was the, the major verse in our Sunday school lesson this morning. You remember Jesus speaking to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus on Resurrection Day, and they don't understand what the one they thought would redeem Israel had just suffered. How could all of this happen in the plan of God? And so it says in Luke 24, 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus takes the whole Bible. He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. And what Jesus proclaimed in that moment to those two disciples is what Paul's whole life was spent doing. Proclaiming the Word of God fulfilled in this one, Jesus, the Son of God. Through Jesus, that we make sense of all of the Bible. It's all about Him. And again, the Bible so often speaks of the saints before Him longing for this day. Remember this verse from Luke? Luke 10, 24, Jesus said, Many prophets and kings and righteous people desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. First Peter 1, verses 10 and 11 says this, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them, to those prophets, that they were not serving themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you (coughs) through those who preach good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So, Prophets long to look. The kings long to look. The righteous people before Jesus long to look. Even the angels long to look. And now we have it. How good it is to see, alas, the truth revealed. The Messiah come. How good it is to be on this side of history. On this side of the emptied grave. To have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. To be able to behold Jesus with the eyes of faith and to know Him. How good it is to know Him. It was given to Paul to make the Word of God fully known. Which means preaching Jesus. That's the fullness of God's Word. That's the Word fully known. It's in Jesus. And then we see in verse 27, that for Paul specifically, this stewardship, this charge from God, meant that he would have a work from the Lord that was to a degree removed from the other apostles. As Peter could be called the apostle to the Jews, so Paul can be called the apostle to the Gentiles. He had been set apart for the special work 
of proclaiming the riches of glory in Jesus to the nations. That's what Gentiles means. We have the human race can be basically divided in two. There's Jews and non-Jews. The Jews and the Gentiles. And that would be us. Karen has mentioned to me that in her ancestry she has some Jewish blood, uh, but I'm sure she is definitely uh, our, the minority that way among us. Um, but we all have that Gentile blood. We're all of the nations. Now, it, it, can, it may seem obvious to, to us Gentiles 2,000 years removed from this that Jesus is our Messiah too, but for the early church, they really struggled to grasp this. Even the Gentile church struggled to grasp that the Jewish Messiah was just as much for them as the Jewish people. So there, we can actually, let me change up just a couple of words in, in verse 27, because we're, a, you know, Gentiles, so to speak. How great among us are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Let me give you a quick encouragement here. Um, you know how Paul piles on the prepositional phrases like, uh, you know, riches of the glory of this mystery, Christ in us, hope of glory. He piles on the phrases and you're like, man, that is a lot to wrap your mind around. Paul's sentence structures are, are long and they're complicated. And I, I really kind of appreciate those few versions of the Bible that don't smooth them out totally for us. So that we're like, man, this is this is tough. It makes you slow down. Please, you will do yourself a tremendous favor. If you're just reading through Colossians, Ephesians, you know, these letters of Paul, just half of the New Testament, you just slow down and let it sink in and make the connections and see what it means. And it just opens up so much. It's so rich, it's so good, and it, it makes your heart just Burst with the joy of Jesus. Paul is saying all the riches are ours. Even the Gentiles, they're ours too. The grace, the promises, the glory. Every, like he says in Ephesians, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. It's all ours. The adoption, the inheritance, the kingdom, God, God himself, he is ours. All things are ours, Paul says in Corinthians. Don't take this for granted, Gentile brothers and sisters. Don't take this for granted. Because we have this not as a matter of fairness. It's not that God said, I'm going to make this for the Gentiles too. Jesus is going to do his work for the Gentiles too. Because, you know, even Stephen. It just has to work out equally. It has to be fair. It's not because of that. It's not a matter of fairness that you have the riches of glory. It's all a matter of God's grace. Not fairness, it's grace. And what grace? There's, there are some people who I, I think with their, didn't plan on getting into this, 
But there's some people in, in biblical interpretation who think that Gentiles are like second class in the kingdom. That, that the Jews are first and, and the Gentiles come in second place. They have the most and we have, we have a good portion, but a little bit less than the, than the Jews. It's not that way at all. We're the children of Abraham now because we are the sons and daughters of faith. We're the children of promise. We have it all. We're not second class. We have the full portion because Christ is our portion. It's all ours. And Paul says, He is in you. Christ in us. The hope of glory. Man, that's something also we take for granted. That Jesus dwells in us by faith. But you know what this means? It means you're not dead anymore. You're alive with the life of God unto God forever. You have eternal life. As Paul said in Galatians, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You are God's wondrous new creation. It's already our present possession. Paul is telling us these things so that we will say to ourselves, Mike, don't you think this is, that this is worth holding on to? Put your name in there. Don't you think that this is worth holding on to? That this is everything? That the world has nothing on this? I can't touch this. We have Christ. I mean, the passing world, this passing age, all the pleasures of this world that are going down in flames. It's all going to pass away. All the things, and, and these are gifts from God, gifts from God, our homes, our community, life together. It's so good. There's a cold front coming in like in an hour. I mean, that's good stuff. But all of this age, it's going away. Christ is all. We have Him already. Don't you think He is worth holding on to? Perseverance is hard. But it's Christ now and Christ forevermore. So much the riches of glory now and the fullness of it yet ahead. He is in you now. You will be presented to Him soon. Jesus now, more of Jesus yet ahead. I love that song. I want to know you then. I want to know you more. That's my life. Great riches of glory now, the full inheritance still ahead. And this is what Paul spent himself for, to proclaim the glories of Christ to us so that you would know how awesome your hope is and you wouldn't let go. So Paul writes, verse 28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. It reminds me of what Paul says in Romans chapter 1 when he is looking forward to going to the Roman church someday. And he says that he wants, more than anything, to preach the gospel to those who are in Rome too. And he's talking to the church. He's talking to believers. He's saying, I want to preach the gospel to you. It's what he says to the, about the Colossians. We're not, we're not going to the, like, the peripheral doctrines, you know, the controversial stuff. We're proclaiming Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, always Jesus. He is our message. 
Because someone proclaimed Jesus to you. And something stirred in your heart. You knew your need. And you knew that Jesus was it. And you came. God gave you the spiritual legs and you ran to Jesus. And just as you were saved in the beginning by the proclamation of Christ, so you are built up now and preserved by the proclamation of Christ. It must be a Jesus-centered message. We must be a gospel-centered church. And this was Paul's whole life. Look at verse 29 again. By the way, take note of Colossians 1.29 because it has several applications and I don't have time to get into the different applications, but this is, this is perseverance. This is sanctification. This is how we grow. Look at what he says. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. There's a lot of power words here and this is this is how we continue on to glory all the way. We toil, we struggle with all His energy that He powerfully works within us. But uh, I do have, you know, that's kind of side, a little side application. But here Paul is saying, what I would not give to proclaim Christ to you. What I would not give. Christ gave all to make Himself known to you. Paul shared Christ's sufferings. He gave all to make Jesus known to you. And now you. Will you withhold to know Him? Or will you give all? Will you toil to know Him as Paul toiled to make Him known? Will you struggle with the strength that He gives to know Him as Paul toiled and struggled to make him known to you. This is how we persevere. This is how we hold fast until the day when we are presented, to use the Ephesians words, in splendor to Jesus. To use the Colossians words, holy and blameless and without reproach before him. This is how we hold fast until that great, great day. Many people... Many people drift from Jesus. It's the saddest thing. Remember Paul writing in Philippians, he says, I write with tears over those who have become enemies of the cross. I tell you, they didn't become enemies of the cross overnight. It was by neglect. It was by drifting away. That is, that is Satan's strategy. Just bit by bit, day by day, drift away from what is most important, away from passion for Christ and toiling to know Christ, just getting deeper into Christ. It's going to cost you. Knowing Jesus so deeply is going to cost you because the world's not going to like it. Persecution increases for those who know Him truly and lovingly. It will cost. 
But when it comes to toiling and struggling to know Him, even with the great cost, I ask, can you afford not to? Can you afford to drift away from the Lord? We all know the answer. And though there is a great cost here and now for striving to know Jesus, our reward at the end is beyond saying. It's beyond saying. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So let's give ourselves to this. Let's press into Christ. What needs to change in your daily regimen, in your habits, about how you approach knowing Christ? How might your prayers need to change? How might what time you give to the Word of God need to change? Fellowship with other believers, how much attention we give to that, how might that need to change if we're going to know Jesus as we ought to? as He is worthy of knowing. Yeah, there's sacrifices. There's distractions to put aside. All of that. And there's pressing responsibilities that we need to let go of. But Jesus, we can't afford to not be presented to Him in splendor on that day. So all God's grace is yours. It's yours. You may know Him. You may know Him the one who loved you and gave himself for you, the one who made all things and the one for whom all things were made, you may know him. Nothing's hindering you. God certainly is not. He is helping you. He gives you all you need. So press in. Let's press into Christ. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to know your son. As has been read already today, Please give to us your Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. Open our eyes to see him. Open our ears so that, as he said, my sheep hear my voice. Lord, we want to hear his voice. We want Christ to be our treasure. We want to let everything else go. So help us, draw us to you. Plant your word in our hearts. Bind us together in this. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.